Well, we are talking all about firewood today with Andrew Easton from Easton Made Wood Splitters. Firewood splitters and firewood processors are really cool machines. They're simultaneously simple and basic as a machine can get, and also really highly engineered and precise and they're just really pragmatic machines, the way they they do a, jo- a job that you can do by hand. You can chop wood with a saw or an axe or a chainsaw, and you can split it with them all. But when you see one of these firewood processors do all of that in one shot, it's just a classic example of human ingenuity and innovation and productivity. And I really love it. And my kids like it too. I have it playing on the TV sometimes in the background and uh, they they kind of enjoy watching it happen as well. So we got Andrew on our show. He started Easton Made several years ago in his basement or in his garage making these machines and has grown it now to be a pretty serious business shipping wood splitters and firewood processors all over the world. He's a super down-to-earth guy, very salt of the earth, very uh, straightforward and laid back, and I really enjoyed this conversation with him. And if you're a kind of guy who's who's mechanically inclined and knows how to fix things and build things, you will like this episode because that's who Andrew is. And he has been able to parlay those skills into manufa- into a business, a manufacturing business that's successful just as a bit. He has been successful as a businessman and uh, it's really inspiring. I hope you enjoy it. Without any further ado, Andrew Easton from Easton Made Wood Splitters. Well, I warned you guys I was going to show you the wood stove, and there it is. In fact, let me just show you the setting here. There's the there's where we record, and right here I've got a uh, this really nice and small uh, wood stove, which I got on Facebook Marketplace um, last spring for 100 bucks or so, and it heats up this shop nicely. And a year ago when I was doing this, I would be sitting there absolutely freezing my booty off. In fact, I had one of those little propane heaters that I would set up on the ground kind of by my legs um, to keep me warm, but it, it usually didn't. And there were some interviews where you could see my breath, and I always wondered if the audience had any idea how freezing cold I was. <laughs> uh, but it's better now because we are burning wood, and so... Uh, it was kind of fun for, for this discussion with Andrew. Just to start with, and, and I don't know either, but can you give us the, the back, I'll say backstory, but just how it is Easton Made came to be, how you got involved with splitting wood and firewood and kind of get me and the listeners up to speed with who you are and uh, how your company came about? Well, uh, growing up, dad was a logger. Like, dad was a logging contractor, so he had all sorts of big, heavy equipment. Uh, good, good size, good size outfit. Bunchers, feller bunchers, chainsaws, skidders, you name it, he had uh, He had If it was a logging, piece of logging equipment, he had it. So I grew up, and on the weekends, what I did is I, I would service all, all the equipment when it came home, and I would make sure it was all ready to go for Monday morning. So mechanical background, I have a lot of that. Um and I'm actually a licensed auto mechanic. I went and uh, worked on cars for quite a few years there, so I'm an auto mechanic. And uh, about 2008 or so, Dad uh, Dad had purchased uh, Bell's Machine Shop, so that was the local fabrication shop. And 
and uh, local mail rate service was, was what Bell's originally was. Um, so what dad purchased that and um, I left the job that I was working right at the same time they started building firewood processors and they started doing firewood processors more as a make work project. In 2008, the market crashed. So all the, all the industrial stuff around town dried up and the first Bell's firewood processor was just a, it was a make work project. We never thought, we thought we'd build one and not maybe build two or three more at the very most. We never thought it would kind of, Snowball into this, and and typical father and son, we don't work well together. So I, I left the business, and uh, I, I went and worked for uh, uh, for a local factory for quite a few years as a millwright. So I, I, I pulled wrenches there for for quite a few years, and, uh, and then I came back, and I lasted about four lasted about four, four months with that again, and uh, then I left. Mm-hmm. I, I, I said, well, I, I we can't, well, this isn't going to work out for us. There's no point in this. We're, we're, we're we would get along great if we're not working together. So there's no point <laughs> yeah. in sliding. So. I, uh, I laughed that I started East Made Woods, but as my wife was five months pregnant, she thought I had lost my mind. Everybody, everybody in the neighborhood thought, thought I was right out to lunch, going to start building wood splitters. And that's, uh, that's kind of how it all started. I built one and then, then the next one, and the next one. I, I haven't, luckily I have, since I did, I haven't been out of work. I, I've, I've always been busy. So. Well, you haven't had to work for somebody else. You've probably been working around the clock, but at least <laughs> not, uh, for a paycheck, I guess. Well, so it's, it's probably a lot like yourself, mate. Like I, I, I don't, I don't think I work. I, I tell people I'm retired. I just, I just have fun stuff to do all day. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, it's amazing. Like, uh, how different it feels when you're doing it for somebody else. Like, you know, maybe even when you're a millwright or, or at Bell's, but versus when you're under your own flag, it's just, it's, you're having fun. At least that's usually oh. what it's like. I, I've like obviously there's been stressful days. Don't know different than any other business, but I, I really enjoy what I do. I really enjoy the customers. I enjoy enjoy the people that I work with. I really, I really, really do. I've got a good crew of people and a good bunch of people to support me that are that are just just amazing to be around. So, so these firewood processors and wood splitters, um, they they look kind of simple and almost Rube Goldberg. Like, oh, of course, it just guts in there and breaks it apart. But I I know there's probably a, a pretty serious amount of engineering and testing that goes into it and so i get you you've got experience with all these things but talk a little bit about the engineering and maybe your team and who's who kind of helps dial these things in because there's a lot of homemade uh, wood splitters and wood processors out there that probably don't produce half the amount of output as one that's been dialed in so talk about the engineering and your team and kind of how how that all works well, uh, the, fir- the first, the first, first made wood splitter. I actually learned AutoCAD myself. I kind of, I, I had a couple of beers and sat down on the computer and learned AutoCAD. And obviously, I, yeah, I'm a mechanic. I don't have the expertise as, as the the help I now have working for me. The the guys that I have working for me now are, are incredible. We, we use a program called SolidWorks that that we can pretty well design everything, fit, finish, right to a T on the computer. And the nice thing about it too is like all, all the again like all the people that are working for us are genuinely interested in what we're doing. So like mm-hmm. trial and error stuff is normally pretty quick and easy to prototype and get out there. And we have we have a wood yard here that we'll try stuff and we'll uh, we'll, we'll literally try and break stuff. Like we'll, we'll go right out of our way to make sure that, that when a customer gets it, it's it's going to be a good piece of equipment. And uh, if 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 it broke a quarter inch, we make it three quarter inch. We just make it really mm-hmm. really heavy and. And um, with the wood splitter too, you, you really got to uh, consider how much is binding. Um, in terms of performance, it's uh, it's it's a lot more basic than what a lot of people probably think it is. Um, you just need to uh, 
be conscious of, of pump flows and how fast things move and, and how much oil, especially with, with wood splitters, how much oil you have to move at once because it's uh, once you're dealing with, with the, with the speeds that we're dealing with, you're, you're moving an awful lot of hydraulic oil. So you have to have everything sized accordingly to be able to do mm-hmm. that. Here's my next question. And you have a lot of experience with hydraulics growing up around it. And for you, this is just second nature, but for me and a lot of people, hydraulics is something I understand the concept, but the nitty gritty, I, I don't hardly at all. For example, I just did an oil change on a skid steer with a guy and he, he was helping me, but it turns out the hydraulic fluid was just engine oil. That's it. We looked at the manual super close and it was weird. And I was like, are you, we just went for it. But a guy at the, at the shop where I bought the oil, he's like, oh yeah, it's just think you could even put water in there. I know you shouldn't, but he was just making the point. It could be anything. So in terms of wood splitters and the, the uh, hydraulics that are used there in terms of the logging equipment that you're working on, um, can you just talk about hydraulics a little bit big picture? Is it kind of the same basic concepts across all of these machines or are there things that in, in your application are quite different than, you know, than some other um, type of hydraulic machine? basic principles honestly the, the, the exact same for any piece of hydraulic equipment and, and like uh the parts guys right right as long as it's a fluid and you can pump it it you, you can literally use it for hydraulic fluid uh like in your instance uh multi-grade oil like 10w30 or 1540 or whatever um it it, it works good for for a lot of applications it, it's 15 weight when it's cold and it's 40 weight when it's warm right um in terms of differences for our machines we run uh, we run pretty good components on them. Like uh, our valves are rated for for right around five thousand psi, where most log splitter valves are around twenty five hundred. So we can we can make the cylinder size a lot smaller and get a lot more tonnage out of it. So that's where we get a lot of the performance from on it. Um, and then when we get up into the, into the larger processors, we're, we're starting to run like we're running piston pumps and all uh, proportional controls on them. So we have access to every every function on the machine just at our fingertips through, through, through a laptop. So it's, it's, uh, in order to adjust something to change something to make sure something's right, it, it's very, very easy to do and easy to manipulate, which is, which is great because we can do some pretty cool stuff, uh, on, on the bigger equipment now. Hmm. So in other words, those have a little computer module that, that you hook your laptop into that what's, what is that programming like timing and stuff or what, what is that? Yeah. How so is that all, working? So a, a, a lot of it will be on timing and, and a lot of it will be on pressure too. So there will be actually pressure trans, transducers to send a signal as to what the pressure is on one section of valve or, or one function or whatever. And then that way, once it hits that, we can adjust, we, we can move something else or adjust something else. And huh. and then there's also a handful of sensors on, on different functions on it. So like, for example, the saw, when it comes up, it has an angular sensor on it. So, you, so when it's coming up, it knows how far it's moved through its stroke. So um, we can actually set the saw um, so it'll come up past your log and then start to slow down. So it just saves oh. saves some time and saves a lot of movement with the machine. If, if you look at the machines compared to other ones, it's uh, there's very little movement. They're a very, very smooth machine to run. When you're designing these in the software, do you kind of already know pretty well how well it's going to operate just by the fact that it was designed well? Like, look at this design it, it all ties out perfectly this is going to be amazing or is there a lot of like mystery like let's see how it does you know like with a with a good set of house plans let's say a, a good builder can know just by looking at them like that's an that's 
that's amazing that look how that engineering all works and you know you don't have to walk through it to know what's that like for you with hydraulics and pressure and actual wood you know feeding through for the first time it's it's a lot it's a lot the same like you you can you can predict things you can you can see things uh quite quite a ways ahead of you and again it comes with experience so no 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 different than a builder or or any other trade for that matter you can you can foresee things typically long before they happen um and the, the neat thing about that too is it's no matter no matter what I'm sure even for the builder there's always there's always that that little sense of uh, satisfaction when it, when it actually works out right so yeah what well, why is there no like let's say like John Deere or Caterpillar I've been surprised as my my YouTube feed is all wood splitters right now I don't know how it happened but I just started I clicked on one from uh, Buckin and it was one of your splitters and i think i think from there youtube's like oh he'll love all this stuff anyways i've been surprised that there's not like john deere and caterpillar and case wood splitters like all the other equipment and it's m- mostly you know boutique kind of smaller yeah. wood splitting outfits why do you think that is i i honestly i honestly don't know like i think it's one of those uh, things that a lot of a lot of bigger manufacturers uh for some reason don't don't really want to get into it and i don't know why like uh honestly it's it's been it's been profitable for me obviously and uh and uh, i've had incredibly good luck with it and like i don't know why like like a brandic land pride or, or something like that wouldn't yeah. wouldn't take something like this on to do it i don't know if there's maybe if they don't feel there's quite the volume there but i i know from from my experience uh there, there, there's a pretty huge market there, especially once once you go globally. They, globally, like we've started shipping machines to the UK and Australia, New Zealand, and stuff. So um, there, there's a huge, huge global market there, especially having the resources that those companies would have to to be able to move things and and uh, the logistics teams they would have. I, I think it'd be very, very simple for them to to do that and and uh, make a profitable business out of it. Yeah, or like Vermeer, they're already doing all these wood products. Like, why is there not a big firewood processor? You know what? Maybe it is like at least among tractors there's a lot of components that overlap you know that they're kind of just taking a lot of the same parts and pieces and maybe on a firewood processor it's like it's more complete retooling than you know just making a new size of a tractor for you know john deere or something maybe it's maybe it really is a whole different animal i think that would be a lot of like i I know i know myself like we've uh just having the, the 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 knowledge and basic understanding of it, it, it takes a it takes a while to to. It's no so di- it'd be no different than building any other piece of equipment for that. that yeah. Once you have experience with doing it, you, you again you can perceive what's going to happen. Maybe maybe that's it that they just can't be bothered with it if they're they're already profitable doing. It. I don't know why a company like Vermeer. I'm surprised Vermeer doesn't doesn't kind of step in the ring with that too. But they vermeer uh what would do like drastically more chippers than, than we would ever do processors and i i would think that there'd be way more market for process or for for uh chippers than there ever would be for processors yeah that's true and there's also like a regional aspect you know um firewood doesn't get burned near the extent in you know the lower united states and certainly like uh some countries even burn a lot less wood than you know you up in canada so it could just be like a it does their 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 supply chain is all oriented maybe in other parts of the world where firewood's just not really as big a market as you know as what you guys are involved with. Although I guess you're shipping them all over the world anyway. So yeah, huh. like, like uh, we we've sent them like we've sent them just about every even places where you wouldn't think you'd sell a lot of woods, but it's like uh, hotter climates. Like we we have we have them there. Um, obviously not as many as as uh, 
in, in the northern nor, northern part of the, the country here and uh, uh. Uh, but uh, but on that note, like I think I think you're you're exactly right with that. It because once you go further south, the population gets greater. Uh, you go to different areas, and and there's more more people to buy stuff, and uh, yeah, and uh, a lot more demand. In terms of it's the it's the end of 2021 right now, and in the U.S., supply chains are kind of messed up. We've got shortages. I, I've got things I've been ordering on Amazon that are like not showing up. That I I think it's related to that. So. How's it? What's it been like for you guys? Have you been, have you been dealing with the impact to you know acquiring parts and pieces for your machines, or what's what's the impact been like up there? You definitely have to be dynamic with it. You definitely have to be on the ball and be, be creative sometimes. For the most part, like most most of our hard components, like uh, valves, pumps, stuff like that, we have some pretty good suppliers for that. Um, pretty good people that we've partnered with. We yeah. haven't seen too much of a supply chain issue with it um we've been we try to be pretty proactive with things too like even even right now like we're, we're booking probably about 40 weeks out for parts um wow. like uh, we have po's in that far we're, we're looking to get out to about 52 weeks um and most suppliers are asking for that now um in oh, wow. in the instance that that, that if, if this if this would have happened uh four or five years ago when, when i first started doing it it would be very very difficult to get stuff It'd be very difficult to to plan things where we're now, um, now, now that we have a, a really, really good established business, it's, it's not as nerve wracking to put in a PO that's out 52 weeks for us. We, we know we can build so many machines a, a day, a week, a month sort of thing. So it's not, yeah. it's not too bad in that respect. We still have a handful of uh, smaller items that are tricky to get your hands on. I, I don't know why, like uh, trailer wheels are tricky. Uh, huh. uh, a lot of trailer parts that are hard to get your hand on. And it seems to be the more basic stuff that mean it seems to be more difficult to get and obviously you can't you can't set a wood splitter out with the wheels on it right so you're, <laughs> you're, missing, you're missing one wheel it kind of holds up the whole the whole yeah. production line but again like, again we, we have a really incredible team here that uh that is is really good at kind of staying ahead of it and uh, different supply chains and different avenues that, that, that we've used to in order to stay on top of things so Wow. So it makes perfect sense with your background, how you've been able to develop great wood splitters and firewood processors. But most of what you do, at least it seems to me like running this business and procuring parts and managing this big team and all that is actually um, just as complicated and maybe difficult. How have you become, to what do you attribute your success at running a business uh, considering like you said, you 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 have the the hands-on mechanical side on lockdown. How, to what do you attribute like picking up the the business side of this? I I like again. I, my my dad's always uh, always been a business owner. My my mom my mother too. Both of them are entrepreneurs. Uh, dad dad's yeah. uh, dad, dad's a lot more hyper than I am, but he's he's very very crafty. Um, but I, I I've had good people around me. Like it's not this is this isn't a, a one man show by by no means at all. I have an incredible. Huh team of people and as you grow you 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 get more people and, and you, you put different people and delegate and i think that that was the hardest part for me to do is uh years ago i i would try and literally do everything myself um like i yeah. would do everything from one end of it to to the other end of it and, and it's and I, I've, I've learned that you can't do that you can just you just can't like you get to a certain point and you have to you have to more delegate and make sure you put the right people in charge of certain things to make sure stuff happens and stuff is done. Um, and, and communication is key with it. If, if you can't communicate with people, if you can't uh, uh, let people know what's going on or how, how you feel or, or 
what what the next step is. They, they, they'll never know. I, I think most most people are genuinely showing up to work to try and do their best, and that's just, that's just certainly the case for our team here. So, wow, what is there one part of the business that you particularly enjoy? For example, assembling or work, like your time as a mechanic. I got to think to some extent you enjoy that. If you had like a day with nothing pressing, where would you go at, at the business, and what what would you spend your time working on? I, 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 I honestly, honestly, I like, I like doing it all. I, I really, I don't think there's like, I, I, there's not an aspect of it. I don't think I, I enjoy doing yeah. it myself. I like the welding, I like sandblast, the painting, the, the assembly. Like I, 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 I'm pretty easy in that respect. I, I don't, uh, I, I don't favor one job over the other. I don't think, I think, I think they're, they're all good. And, and a lot of it's just, just the, the attitude you have going into it. If you have a good attitude when, when you, when you go to a party, it doesn't matter whether there's a thousand people there or two, you're going to have a good time. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, this might be not as important of a question, but I'm still curious. Um, how, what, what brought you to picking these cool colors of orange and blue for your splitters? <laughs> well, that's a, that's, 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 that's a good story. Actually, we're going to do, we're going to try and do a YouTube video on that one day. I've got, I've got it wrote down on my, on my list of videos. We were actually, well, you, you don't have to spoil it, but, uh, I, they are so beautiful uh, and I figured there's probably a reason why. I wouldn't have painted them orange or blue. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I told, told them they were nuts. <laughs> wow. That is so funny. I, 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 I had just, I had just started, started East like, 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 like literally like a couple of weeks into it sort of thing. And, having a couple of beers with friends at the local pub here and uh we were sitting there and, and we were talking about oh i gotta paint this machine i, I just finished fabbing up fabbing the first one up and, oh i gotta paint this machine and i uh, said it's gotta be two-tone like, it doesn't matter yeah uh, if you paint something one solid color it just doesn't stand out it doesn't have the same impact on people and and uh there was already ra- the timberwolf with red and silver belt rate was blue and green or black and green and corking there's there, there already a lot, a lot of different colors and sure I, i've always liked orange so well i should paint it orange and then uh my friend my friend's wife from from, from, from across the table orange and blue i want to paint them denver broncos <laughs> said you're right out the line. they're not gonna paint something orange and blue and then, then then my wife my wife's a hairdresser so she she's stacy's uh Again, she 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 owns her own business, and she, she's uh, she's very very gifted at what she does, and uh, obviously know, knows a lot about colors. Oh no, they're complementary colors; they'll go good. And you, you think about it, like Edmonton Oilers, Nashville Predators, uh, New York yeah. Islanders, or uh, or orange and blue are complementary colors, so they, they they actually look good together. I, I would I thought they were right out to lunch. There's no way I was. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I I've always since I was a little kid really liked orange and blue as a combo. I don't know why it wasn't for any particular reason as a side story though. When I was a little kid, my grandpa had a storage business and the sign I remember was yellow and red. And I really didn't like those two colors I associated them with like Ronald McDonald and like, I don't know, it just felt like kind of circusy yellow and red later in my life. My dad, um, who are our listeners of course know really well, he built a sawmill and, uh, later in, 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 when he got it back later, he painted it new and he painted it yellow and red again. And I remember thinking again, like, oh my gosh, here's this ye- yellow and red. I don't get it. Anyways, what I I built a storage business a couple years ago and I don't know what it was, but when the time came to like make a sign, it was yellow and red. It was just like, it was like for some <laughs> reason, like it was, that's the first storage business. Oh, it stood out to me all those times. I don't know what it was, but these colors kind of like present themselves and I love it now, uh, but I, you know, you, there's always a little more to it. So I, I'll be looking forward to hearing the, the full deep, uh, 
story of, about that on your channel. Well, that's really cool. I, I, I really thought they were, they were out to lunch and I thought, well, <laughs> all, all I can do is cry. Like it, it, it turned out, obviously they, 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 they look really, really sharp. And, and the, the biggest thing for me is I wanted to, um, with, with any business like this, uh, the, the, an important end of its branding, right? Yeah. It's just no different than a John Deere tractor. You see a John Deere tractor for, from, from a mile away, you know, it's a John Deere tractor. It's yellow and green, right? Right. Um, so that, that 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 was kind kind of the big thing, and, and actually a local guy, Gordy McClellan, uh, builds wood splitters here, and uh, he he he's been building for years and years. But if you see Robin Eggs Blue Wood Splitter, it, it's a Gordy, it's a Gordy McClellan splitter. You can you can see it from from a mile away. You know that's one of Gordy's splitters. Yeah. So that, I wanted to make sure that I that I had that for my brand and had something that you could you could send out there to people that that uh, that fit and and people recognize it instantly, right? So. Yeah, I love that. That's 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 cool. Um, so a couple more questions for you. Um, as someone who's got a lot of experience with big engines and small engines, can you give me and the viewers just the crash course? I know at the moment you're putting Vanguard engines in a lot of your machines, but you've also got Kubota and Honda and kind of all sorts of them. Is there any way to think about these small engines in terms of what, what you've learned about which ones are your favorite or most well-suited for this? Or... At, in this day and age, are kind of like trucks. They're all awesome. So, h- how do you kind of think about these small engines uh, these days and I big engines? You, like your I, th- I think I think you hit it, hit the nail right on the head there. Like it's like I don't think you can really buy a bad truck. Like it, like it doesn't matter whether it's a GM, Ford, Dodge. Like you're gonna buy a good quality piece. And I I think engines are the exact same as that. Like it's not like. A, 30 or 40 years ago where, where, where you had uh, like points and carburetors and all that kind of uh, mechanical ignitions and stuff like that. You don't have that. It's all, it's all solid state now. So the, there's very, very mm-hmm. little to go wrong with them. And machining practices now today, uh, it doesn't seem to matter where you go. The machining tolerances you can, with the equipment that's available today and that all of these factories are running, you can make the tolerances so, so precise that I don't think it would ever matter. Like we've, we haven't run the Hondas for about a year now. Just again, supply supply chain issues. Honda wasn't going to be able to to supply us with with what we needed, and uh, it seemed to be a constant ongoing problem. Is getting engines. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Vanguard, uh, uh, we've been running them for about a year, and uh, we've literally, I, I think, I put an ignition coil on one once. Um, <laughs> so like, wow. very 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 little issues ever at all, and and. And happy, happy we made the switch. It's a, something a little bit different for guys, and uh, and and they they've proven themselves to be incredibly reli- reliable. And then, like the Kubota motors, uh, again, a lot of it comes down to branding, right? I mean, we don't want to. Uh, we, we can get other engines that are a little less expensive, um, but it doesn't matter where you go. Every corner's got a Kubota dealer on that's capable of, of making yeah. repair on, on the equipment, right? So it's uh, that that means a lot to people. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really neat. Um, these um, these small engines are, like you said, maybe in the fifties and sixties when they were harder to come by, and not that they were new then, but at this point, they've been around. Small engines like that have been around for so long. All these manufacturers have had plenty of time to really uh, improve them. But I, I guess I wasn't paying attention. I, so Vancard is Briggs and Stratton's name that they fly their small engines under or what what is vanguard actually like the like the, the the vanguard briggs are like it's a, it's a briggs and stratton engine but it's like their top quality line like honda uh, oh. a, lot, a lot of people don't, don't don't realize but honda does the does the same thing like you can buy 
a GX series Honda, which is the good professional brand Honda, but you can also buy a GC series Honda, which is kind of the the, the bargain oh. brand, right? And and each oh. engine manufacturer has the same um same same scenario going on. Like Kohler's Col- got the Command Pros, and, and they have they have the uh, the other uh, not quite sure what Kohler's other name is, but they normally have two or three tiers of quality. Oh. And and oh, and the okay. van, the Vanguard engines are, are Briggs top, top quality engine, and so far it's it's proven that's the case. So interesting, I didn't know that. Okay, um, all right. Well, a couple more questions for you, just about the the technical aspects. You're building big big equipment, uh, especially the processors are huge, and um, you're shipping them all over the world. Sometimes it just that aspect of like shipping and exporting seems so complicated, even like from a legal standpoint. You know, like how to get your stuff into another country we've shipped some very small products overseas it's always a nightmare how have you kind of figured that out or is it just kind of self-explanatory and you, you just kind of do it or how, what's that like for example i'm in uh, oregon in the u.s are, are you're shipping equipment into the u.s all the time and is there anything people need to know if they're not in canada about buying your equipment no, no, honestly, like, uh, again, again, it all comes down, down to paperwork, as long as you have the proper paperwork stuff, stuff follows back and forth pretty good. Um, it, it like, all of our stuff would fall under NAF. They're not quite sure what they call it now. They, they changed it there a couple of years ago, whatever it is. It's, it's essentially the, the exact same, same thing from, from our perspective. Um, but, uh, for the most part, it, it, go, it goes into the country, uh, tax free. Like, if you're going to buy it in the United States, it goes in tax free. Um, no duties oh. or anything on it. Um, in, it comes down to like, like the, the code, it goes in a piece of logging equipment, um, whether it be a processor or a splitter. There's a handful of states that you're going to live in that, that are going to catch up with you on the tax. They'll, they'll, they'll ding you for the sales tax. Uh, Pennsylvania and California are the two that I know for sure. Uh-huh. Um, so if you're in either one of those states and, and you buy an estimate, we always tell you you're going to get a, a tax bill for that, where, mm-hmm. where, where mo- mo- most other states don't. It's, it's tax-free in almost every state, so. Oh, so that's really neat. It's pretty. It's pretty simple then. Yeah, yeah. It's very. It's very, very simple. Um, the the biggest hurdle we'll normally run into when we're shipping stuff is is offloading it. Um, because you need to have a tractor, mm. skid steer, uh, forklift. Um, and a lot of people like, like these machines are heavy. Even even the log splitter, you're, you're looking at a twenty twenty five hundred pound piece. They're they're yeah. not they're not light. Um, yeah. So. A lot of the times we'll, we'll get it to it to a customer's house and have a compact tractor and then they just it, okay. it won't lift it you, you need something with good lift capacity to actually get it off the truck um yeah to, to, to be able to offload it yeah and the, and the trucks they're not equipped <laughs> they're not they're, they're they're simply delivery trucks they're not bringing their own forklift or anything at that point no nothing like that we actually have one we have we have one driver uh th- that we work with that, that we almost use exclusively. Obviously, there's a handful of scenarios like we're going to go to Oregon. Yeah. A lot of the times, we won't have a whole lot going that way, so it'll go on its own individual truck. Um, yeah. But uh, the fellow that we have that, that does most of the deliveries for us is set up pretty well, where he has a set of ramps and everything on it. So if need be, you can actually pull it down the ramps with your truck. So oh, oh, that's cool. So um, talk about YouTube and how what what made you kind of start filming yourself and and some of your splitters and what that's been like for your business and what you've learned by doing that and and what you think that's going to look like going forward it's it's helped out immensely for us and i i i really enjoy doing it like i i i like doing youtube videos i hope to get back into doing them on a more regular basis um 
like uh, la last year this time I was doing a video or two videos a week sort of thing and trying trying to keep up yeah. with content and uh, obviously acquiring the new business here has been like it's it's been a busy spot there's 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 a lot going on so it's hard to take the time to do that um in term in terms of actually getting into it it uh, I think it was more or less the response I did a lot of a lot of work on Facebook um and then uh, I honestly didn't didn't even do a lot of uh, a lot on YouTube until about two years ago. And I just, I started getting more subscribers and more subscribers. And, and I found, uh, it's kind of an odd thing because on, on YouTube, I, I tend to get a lot of really positive feedback. Like it's uh, like, and, and even, uh, even the criticism, uh, positive. like it's always somebody wanted to, to, to help you or do better, actually give you constructive criticism where, where uh, I found on Facebook, it was actually the, the exact opposite. There was a lot of, a lot wow. of skeptics. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't even know why. It just, just, it's funny. Oh. You could post the same video to the, uh, the exact same video to two different platforms and get two different, two entirely <laughs> different responses to it. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, because until somebody sees one of these machines working, they, they, they don't, a lot of people don't understand They're Well, that's a lot of money for Woods, but well, you're right. But um, I, I like to compare it to, to like a zero turn lawn tractor. Yeah. I like that. That's the analogy I always try to use with people is, uh, um, you can buy like your standard right on mower and, and do an acre or two acres of grass. But if you, if you're going to get in the business cutting grass, you're going to go buy a zero turn. Yeah. Or if you have a lot of grass to cut and you want something good, you're going to buy a zero turn. You're going to buy a proper, proper mower. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's, that's a good analogy. What's the fire in, in terms of the firewood business. I know there are people, you know, in, in areas who have a, so in some cases, massive businesses of, you know, producing firewood and shipping it and, and, but then there's also a lot of people, it's just kind of a hobby or a side hustle or just like almost like a, a hobby, I guess, even just for the yeah. fun of it. So how do you, how do you describe the firewood industry in terms of how many people are dead serious? How many people are just having fun with their kids and how many people just, you know, like busting wood? What was it like if there was a mix? It is a wild spread from one from one spectrum to the other to, to the guy that just wants like we've we've had people that that literally will buy one to do a couple of quarter wood a year which is fantastic they just <laughs> and, uh, and it, it's worked out well for a lot of guys like in terms of investment like uh, um, most people if they bought a machine two or three years they're, they're able to sell for actually more money than they would have paid for it. Um, <laughs> yeah for so sure. in terms of investment it's been pretty good for a lot of people but. Um, yeah. We, uh, you can go right for, from somebody that, that's doing it just to, just to have some, some beer money at the end of the week to people that are, that are having incredible businesses from, from doing firewood. And it's like, we, we deal with everybody right, right from one end of the other, uh, like huh. with the processors, like, um, we have guys that, 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 that don't turn them off, but they literally run them all of the time. Wow. Like they, they turn them off to put fuel in them and they, they might, they might shut it down for like, the, but they, they'll run them all day, every day. Wow. They turn them off on like Christmas and New Year's basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like 7-Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that it's all about getting logs really. So for these guys, they're, they're purchasing logs from like what, like stuff that wasn't good enough for the sawmill or where do these guys get logs on a scale, you know, big enough to, or like yourself, you have a wood yard in your, near your shop there I've seen and. Could you describe like where firewood kind of comes from on on the commercial aspect for people? Um, I'll, 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 again, a lot of it comes down to relationships, like and, and getting out and talking to people because there there's uh, most area there, there's quite a few loggers around that, that that will bring you a steady supply, especially for a firewood processor. You can run 
really dirty stuff through one, but you don't, you don't you simply don't make any time with it. You can, you can split mm. it, you can run it, you can manipulate it, but it, it's no different than, than anything else. You have to start with a good product in order to make a really good product. Right. Mm. Um, but for the, for the most part, it'll be, it'll be stuff that, 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 that that's in between almost always it's going to be stuff that's in between pulpwood and saw logs is essentially what it's going to be. It's going to be stuff that's, that ranges anywhere from that eight to 16 inches that, uh, that might have, have a, have a bad core in it or, or dark spots or whatever. And that's normal. It gets turned into firewood. And that's quite a bit of wood, honestly. So, um, for, for the, for the most part, like that's, that's what it is. is you have to establish a relationship with, with a logger, um, especially somebody that, that's got mechanized equipment like feather bunchers and grapple skitters and stuff is you can produce a lot. Like th- those guys that are running that big equipment produce a lot of wood, like a lot uh-huh. of wood. They put a lot of wood on the ground. And especially uh, if you have a good relationship with them, a good working relationship with them, um, it's very convenient for a lot of those guys. Um, because more often than not, it's closer to home than, than, what, than what the pulp mill or, or sawmill will be. And, and uh, it's a spot where you can literally go and drop drop wood off. Like I, I know dad, when he was like, he loved the fiber processor guys. He just, he, he thought that was great. He'd go and drop two or three loads off in the guy's yard and yeah, you yeah. knew he was going to pay for it because he needed it. Um, so yeah. Once you have that good working relationship with somebody, um, it, it tends not to be that that big of a deal. And then again, it's a relationship with any with any business. That I think that's a lot of a lot of things that people forget is, is the whole the whole thing is is a relationship. Whether it's what between you and a supplier, you and a customer. So, wow, uh, that's really cool. Okay, last kind of area here, and you hinted at it in saying you recently bought the business. Can you talk about this new uh, business or expansion, or describe what you were talking about there, and maybe tie that to your intro? You know, in terms of you, you spent some years. You said working in, or maybe months. I'm not sure working at Bell's, but t- will you fill in that crack for us? Yeah. So I, uh, I, I had started Eastimate about seven years ago. It was uh, well, probably seven years ago, right? <laughs> I would say even this week, as a matter of fact. Um, so about seven years ago, I started Eastimate. I started in, in literally my basement. My basement garage is, is where I started. I had a, a, an old welder that wasn't really wasn't a great welder and, and old chops on a couple of grinders. Like it was huh. literally something we put together. And then uh, it's uh, it's grown in, into a, a, a very recognizable large business right now. And uh, and. Uh, the, the acquisition of Bell's was, was my father was ready to retire. And I was at the point where I, I literally had no more room at my house to grow. Like I, I bought uh, dad's truck shop. Like he had the logging business. He sold it about five years ago, six years ago, he sold the logging business. So um, right around that same time, I needed more room. I moved in here and then same thing. I, I completely and totally outgrew the shop at home here. Like, uh, Two weeks ago was when we moved everybody from one business into the other. Um, we've, mm. we've been running the other business for about since February there now. Um, so whatever that works out to eight or nine months. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the 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 shop here was just completely full. That you couldn't you couldn't jam another man piece of equipment <laughs> in it, uh, another chunk of steel. So yeah. and and they got the guys that worked for me did did a did a really good job of what what they had to work with. Like we. Uh, biggest thing with it is staying organized, right? And uh, yeah. doing do, doing the best and having a good attitude with it. So um, we we purchased uh, I purchased Bell's Machine Shop off my father. He was ready to retire. So yeah, the the, t- the timing of it worked out really really well. Yeah, he must be so I don't know proud seeing seeing you like spin up Easton Maiden now take over. That's got to just be like 
best case scenario for him and you and everybody, I would think. I'm sure it's complicated, but still, that just seems like such a cool, uh, you know, twist. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's been going really good. Like, uh, it's uh, – Dad's super excited. But he's happy to, to finally be retired. He, he golfed yeah. an awful lot this summer, and he plays a lot of hockey <laughs> still. And and oh, cool. uh, so he, he he's able to go and do those things he enjoys he enjoys doing. Where before he uh, – the, the stress level, I guess, maybe, or uh, the, the, the time constraints, he wasn't able to do a lot of that. Where, where, where now, now he is where – I, I tend to not get too excited about a whole lot, and I, I I will take the time, and you have to take the time for yourself. With any with any life, you have to balance uh, personal pleasure and and, and business. Uh, that, that's always a juggling act. Yeah. Right? So. Well, that's great, Andrew. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, my last question: If you had to attribute, I don't know, one thing about yourself or personality, or one, I don't know, piece of advice for for someone who's not necessarily interested in splitters, of course, but this is a really just a kind of classic story of a guy, you know, with, you know, dirt under his fingernails and, and more of the mechanical knowledge, uh, taking that and really making a neat business. So to what do you attribute that? Or what, what would you say to someone who's has those same types of, uh, hopes and dreams for themselves? You gotta, you gotta have patience and you gotta have the right attitude. That, 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 those, those are the two things. And, uh, because you, and anybody can learn anything. I, I am a firm believer in that. You can teach a monkey to read if you wanted to, um, but you have to have the patience to be, to be able to do that, and and you, and you have to uh, you have to have the right attitude for it. Um, obviously, you have to, you have to have a certain level of drive to, to do that. But um, if you have the right attitude, and, and uh, you're going to be able to do it, you have the right attitude to, to, to want to get up and do it every day. That, that that's a big thing, and. Uh, that 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 goes. Uh, I think that goes such a long way. Is you can't be. You you may you may as well enjoy it. You you're gonna be here. You may you may as well walk in with a smile on your face and have as much fun with it as you can. Because that that, that at the bottom line, you're, you're there all day. Um, yeah. And I think I think that I think that's the biggest thing. And you got to be patient, especially with, uh, well, with uh, again with every relationship you have you have uh, you have to you have to have some patience and tolerance there. So. Well, we're going to link to your YouTube channel and to your website for Easton Made Splitters. Is there anywhere else? I'm going to link to that Bucken video because, like I said, he's using your Axis splitter. And I don't know what YouTube predicted it. They know me well, but they, they're they like, he's going to like that. And I sure did. I just There's something about watching these machines, watching any machine, but it's fun watching wood get split also. Is there anything else we should point him to or do you think would be particularly like fun for people to watch after they listen to this? If they're interested in log splitters and stuff, just just search search Eastimate on YouTube. There we have uh, quite a few different uh, uh, different YouTubers that are on equipment, and it's 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 actually pretty entertaining because everybody, a lot of the guys, will be running the same splitter, same equipment, sort of thing, and uh, and everybody's got a different personality, different persona, and how they do it. So it's really nice to see everybody's different take on, and uh, especially if you're interested in. And getting into this business and taking this on either professionally, professionally or as a hobby, um, you get to see every different aspect of it there. Yeah. Oh, that's too cool. Well, hey, Andrew, can't thank you enough. Congrats on all the growth and on this new shop coming together. And I'm just excited to see what kind of comes out next. Probably nothing earth shattering, but just more of the same. I, I can't wait to see one of those things roll down the street here in Oregon someday. And like you said, with the orange and blue, I'll, I'll recognize it from a mile away. So uh, 
looking forward to that. Thanks for coming on. And is there anything uh, we're forgetting here to leave people with? I, I don't think so. I, I just, I really enjoyed the conversation. They had the opportunity to speak to you. That, that, that's fantastic. All right. Well, keep up the good work and we'll talk to you again soon. Take care.